Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, June 12th, 2016. May God use this as a blessing to you today. And now, Pastor Angela. Good morning. Uh, What an honor it is for me to present the word this morning. So thank you for the opportunity. And it's always fun to play some bass. So I I love that I was able to gig with you all. Amen. Um, So uh, this is our third installation of the survival series that we're in, Stories of Hope from the Bible. And today, as you all know, we're uh, talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So will you join with me in prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you who are a rock and our redeemer, we ask, O God, that you, your spirit would be here. Soften our hearts so that we can receive your message of hope. Give us strength to be able to stand up for the integral ways that you are calling us to stand up. In Christ we pray. Amen. So this word integrity. Integrity means to make the right ethical, moral decision in your life. But it also means to choose wholeness. To to choose to oppose those forces that trample you or degrade you or put you down or that break your spirit. Our faith, our relationship with God our relationship with Christ, the one who opposed all the dark forces, right, teaches us to make this stand for integrity in our life. And then God, the God who is all-powerful, all-strong, all-loving, gives us the strength to be able to follow through with that decision in our life. So before we get to all of that, I want to share with you a little bit about my family story from Greece to America. So my dad went back to Greece. He was here for a couple years and to find a wife. And he was looking around for a Greek wholesome wife. And he found somebody and she decided that there would be an item. Uh, three days later, they were engaged. It was very fast. I don't <laughs> suggest for any of you to do this. And a month later, because they were heading to America, they got married. She left behind her family, the language, food. Back in the day, in the 80s, or 78, 77, there was no Greek yogurt and no, like, feta cheese in America, all the things that we love here. She left all that good food behind in Greece, and she came here. And my parents got pregnant with me a month while they were here, within a month. And the first decision that they made is to name me. Now, my name is, as you know, Angela. But nobody in my family is called Angela. My grandmother's name, the traditional way, is to be named after your grandparents, right? So you can keep the lineage going. My grandmother's name is Ageliki. Now, can you imagine if that was my name today and you would have to call me Pastor Ageliki? That's a hard name. So lucky for you, my name is Angela. This word in English, I imagine, uh, we had a Greek-English dictionary in our home, and it was like the Bible. (laughs) And every time we needed to find out what word, we went to 
to translate these words, we went to this Greek dictionary. So I imagine my parents were like, what is the English translation of Agiliki? It's Angela. So right away, they made a decision to put on my birth certificate this American name because they were hoping for our family that this would be a better life, a, a new opportunity. Um, and uh, they stuck around for a little bit, but then they decided to go back to Greece. It was very difficult. And so when I was eight years old, they came back to America. I didn't know any English at eight years old, not a word. I remember attending English school in Greece, trying to learn basic English like, hello, how are you? Um, and so it was very, very difficult to assimilate. But let me tell you what I first remember of America in the late eight, uh, 80s. Peanut butter. There was no peanut butter in Greece. It's this American thing. There's like peanuts and a butter. They make it into butter and then you put it on bread. It was amazing. But we didn't have peanut butter and jelly. We had peanut butter and honey. That's the Greek-American kind of way. The other thing I remember is bananas. We didn't have bananas in Greece. It's like this fruit, and you can make it into a shake. Whoa, mind blown. Uh, the other thing that helped me assimilate and to just really enter into this culture was Mr. Rogers. Do you remember Mr. Rogers? And, yeah. And he, the way he talked on TV was so gentle and friendly and slow. And that was very important because it took me a very long time to understand all the other shows, but for some reason, I could understand Mr. Rogers. So I'm really grateful for him and Pippi Longstockings. I think my hair is red because of her. Um, so because my parents worked all the time when they were here, we were kind of like at home doing our own thing and making peanut butter and honey sandwiches all the time. Um, so the fact that she was at home by herself, her parents were somewhere, she just ruled the house and she did whatever she wanted, I related with her. And I found her to be a really strong uh, woman, and I wanted to be just as strong, just as brave as her. America was just an amazing opportunity for my whole family. I mean, I was the first to get a college education. My dad has a sixth grade education because he had to drop out of school to work. Um, and so, gosh, we are so privileged and we are overjoyed um, that America gave us this great opportunity for education and blessings and, you know, all, all that has brought. Now, I can't imagine, though, if somebody came to my country and hurt the people I loved, destroyed my town, my city, and brought me to America, how that would feel. That would be a horrifying, hard life. And this is exactly what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar II, actually, around the year 605 BCE, was the power of the time, kind of like Great Alexander, but he was before Great Alexander. And he wanted to conquer the, con you know, the conquest went throughout the whole world in that area, the Middle East. And he went from Babylon all the way to Israel 
and he basically burned that city down, took all the gold from the temple, took the best kids, wanted to make sure they were children so that he can groom them into officers, people that he can use for his kingdom, and then left. In fact, John Golden Gay, one of the leading professors in the Old Testament, and I was privileged to actually be a student of his in seminary, said this, the city that Israel called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole world, this is Jerusalem, found in Psalms 48.3, is blockaded, assaulted, defeated, raped, pillaged by alien pagan hands and feet. The shrine that David and Solomon had dreamed of and built, and that Yahweh, which is God, had undertaken to treat as his house so that people could be sure to find him at home there, is desecrated and torn apart. Its furnishings are transported if they can be carried, destroyed if they cannot. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the, the young men that were taken, and their original names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And they uh, gave them new names, new Babylonian names. In fact, they took them from Israel all the way to Babylon. And there they were, they were the, the lucky ones, in fact, to be able to have the privilege to be trained and to grow in that city. And later on, they became officers of the court. But gosh, I can't imagine as a child having that thought that everything that I loved, everything that I was, has been destroyed. The people that I cared for are not around anymore. And now I have to take on this new culture, this new way of life, and to worship differently. And that they had different gods in Babylon. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar's name stands for the son. It's another name for the son of God, of the God that they worshipped. And so the first stance that they were able to do is with food. They had a more vegetarian diet, and um, they had asked the people over them, can we stick with our vegetarian diets? And at first they were like, well, I don't know about all this, so you need to become strong and mighty like the rest of the other boys. And they said, well, just give us 10 days, and if we're strong enough with this vegetarian diet, that this is the diet that we want to hold on to. And it was, in a Hebra- it was a Hebraic diet. And so, sure enough, they were stronger than the rest of the other boys. And so they kept on to that culture, that tradition, something from home, this Hebraic diet. Later on, when they became men, they, were, they had to deal with another thing. Uh, the king, who Nebuchadnezzar at that time, who had collected all this gold from all over the world, decided to put it all together and to create this massive, massive statue. Some scholars say that it might have been a statue of himself because he was a son of God after all. Regardless of what statue it was, it was the, it was the statue, a symbol of power, a symbol that he was the mighty king ruling the world at that time, the Middle East. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided they were not going to bow down to this statue. 
Somebody in the court saw them, tattled on them to the king, and this is where our story begins in Daniel 3, starting at verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Like, this cannot possibly be true. Like, I brought you into my home. I fed you. I've schooled you. I've raised you. You're officers in my court, and now you're insulting me in front of the whole nation? This possibly can't be true. And so in verse 15, now, if you are ready, because before, obviously, you were not ready, so I'm giving you another chance here to prepare yourself because this is happening. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound, look at all these instruments, the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigger, the the harp, the drum, and the entire musical ensemble, just in case you missed it, there are a lot of instruments here. There's going to be a loud sound. When you hear the sound, then you, you know, bow down. To fall down and worship the statue that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? It's hard to avoid here that this seems like the Holocaust, right? That this is the beginning of this idea that it's okay to burn people. Uh, and so this is one of the first Holocaust. This is what was happening before uh, Nazi, Nazi Germany uh, took over and did the Holocaust later on. So, gosh, if I were them in that moment, I would be so afraid for my life. I mean... It's a spectacle, right? Everybody's watching at this point. It's it's the climax of the story. They're expecting for you to bow down. And in fact, others bowed down. I I was reading that some scholars were saying that it wasn't an abomination if you decided to bow down to save your life. That it wasn't considered against you, you that you were somehow not serving God. But here is this moment where they're... They're, they're, they come to this place. And of course, they're thinking about everything they've also given up, right? Their families, their households, that this king is asking to break their spirit in that moment. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. This boldness is amazing. I hope one day when I'm placed in a hard situation just like this, where I'm I'm pressured to defend myself, that I can say, I do not need to defend myself. I don't need to answer to why I'm doing what is right. I, uh, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. Verse 17, if our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. We believe in a God who is strong enough to deliver us and rescue us from this fire. 
that that's the kind of strength. You think you're strong? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, our God is even stronger than you. But, in verse 18, and this is my favorite verse in this passage, but if not, if God does not deliver us from the fire, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Even if God does not deliver us from this fire, that, that we still will make a stance because we're choosing an integral stance. See, they, in that moment, I believe that it wasn't just about their faith. Their faith helped them make the stand, but in this moment, they had sacrificed and given so much of themselves, it was the breaking point. And so they were holding on to this sense of, we will stand with God. We will not worship you, because our strength comes from the Lord. Then, in verse 19... Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage. He was already mad, very mad right now, against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that his face was distorted. Everybody knew he was annoyed. He ordered the furnace, heated up seven times more than was customary, and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics and their trousers, their hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. All the stuff that they're uh, talking about here, the clothing is really saying to them that they were officers of the court. They had position of power, and the king didn't even strip them of their title. He just, they just were bound and were thrown into the furnace. Because the king's command was urgent, this is verse 22, and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, but the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Now, I know that there are some of you here who are going through a time of fire in your life. And you might ask, well, why did God even allow this fire to happen? Why, why couldn't God deliver me from the fire completely? Like, I don't even know why I'm going through this. And I don't have an answer for you this morning. But I do know that even if you're going through the fire, that there's hope. There's hope. Because God promises to be with you during this time. And even when we're going through times of fire, God calls us to make integral decisions for ourselves. Decisions that, are, that bring wholeness to us, that are not degrading or oppressive. That even through those times, we are called to stand up for what is ethically and morally right. To choose to worship God and not to bow down to the forces that are oppressive in our lives. There might be things at your work, you're feeling pressure to do something that feels uh, not quite right, and you're not sure why you're feeling so uneasy. Maybe the Spirit is moving in you and telling you, this isn't right. Stand up for what you know to be true. 
Or maybe at home, there's a situation where you feel pressured and your family or extended family, they're doing something, you're just you're just not feeling that it's quite right. There's something inside of you that's telling you, you have to get away from this or don't be involved in this. This is how you make a stance in your life, choosing what's an integral thing to, to stand up for. Now, there was a story a couple weeks ago that was so similar to this Daniel story with these three, three men. And... Um, it involved 19 Iraqi girls. See, ISIS has been capturing a lot of different folks. Well, he captured these 19 Iraqi girls, and they were from the faith Yassidi, which is um, a Mesopotamian faith. It's, a ve- it's not a very common faith, but they were very devout. And they were, and this is very difficult to even talk about, they were forced to have sex with these men, But for some reason, with a little strength in that moment, they refused that. They refused to be oppressed in that way. And because of that, they, the ISIS group was insulted. They put them in cages, and then they burned them alive. Now, you might think, well, why am I sharing this story to you? Because number one, I want to say, wow, because of their courage and their boldness, I hope one day that if I'm ever put in that situation, that I won't fall into despair so much that I don't stand up for what is right. They're an example for us. If they can stand up and oppose this threat on their lives and they can stand up for what is integral, we, with the strength of God, can oppose as well the things that are attacking us. And I want to mention their stories because... I want to applaud that their spirits weren't broken. You know what I mean? Like, yes, they they had to die this horrific death, but they're they're heroes in so many ways because they refuse this power. Their spirits weren't broken, and I. uh, It's one of those stories that was buried, and the media didn't talk about. I want to lift their story up today to say we see your efforts and. I'm so glad that you were able to do that. We find strength from stories like these in our own lives. For, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their story doesn't end there in the fire. They held on to integrity regardless of their outcome. But the story continues in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly He said to his counselors, was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, true, O king. He replied, but I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the fourth has the appearance of a god. See, God did not deliver them from the fire, but God was with them in the fire. This is the message of hope this morning. God did not deliver them from the fire, but God was there with them in the fire. That God stood in solidarity with them. And the most beautiful part of this is that they were unbound. A symbol of freedom. They were, uh, prior to that, they were bound down and they were captives. And 
God in this scene unbinds them and they're free and they're walking around with this freedom. And the message of hope this morning for us is that God does the healing inward first. When the Spirit comes, the Lord sets us free inwardly first, restores our spirit inwardly first so that we can stand up for what is right outwardly. And God here appeared in this form of an angel. It's also a sign of the messianic, it's a messianic sign. The word messianic means the Savior who comes to deliver people that are oppressed. And we know that that title was given to Jesus, the Savior who had come to deliver us from oppression. Because Jesus said he came to set the captives free. And he wasn't talking about... uh, being enslaved physically, even though that's a part of the restoration that we hope for, but the enslavement is the inward enslavement that happens to the heart, the spirit that is broken, and God restores that, and stores the integrity that we have, the idea of integrity that we have for ourselves, wholeness for ourselves first. In verse 26 here, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. There is a a fire that's happening in this country, and we don't talk about it a lot. It's kind of like a hidden fire. It's called domestic abuse. And some folks may be in a situation where it is domestic abuse, but it's very hard, psychologically hard to even identify it or even understand it. Because sometimes you think domestic abuse looks only one way. You think, well, she didn't hit me, or he didn't push me down, the, or whatever you think domestic abuse is. But any violence, any assault, physical assault, is domestic abuse. And these are the statistics for us. One in three women, one in four men, have been physically hurt by a partner in their lifetime. Do the math. In this room, there are people who have been involved as victims in in this domestic abuse situations. On average, 20 people a minute are physically abused by a partner. And it's very hard to make a stand when you're in the middle of that. Uh, Sometimes when you're in the middle of it, because it's been this long, ongoing thing, you you love the person that's hurting you. And it's very hard to, to make healthy boundaries and to get away from that because you think, well, they're going to change and things are going to be different. And if only this, and it's my fault, and it keeps going and it gets worse and worse and worse. If you are in this fire, if you know somebody that's in this fire, there's help for you. We believe in a God who sets us free, who helps us stand up, against these oppressive things in our lives. If you know somebody, if you are in the situation, we stand with you and we challenge you and we encourage you to get some help. The first way you can get help is by connecting with this 
thehotline.org. There's resources there. Also, this number, 1-800-799-SAFE, 7233, is another anonymous way to get help. But if you want to talk to Pastor Jim and I, we are more than willing to walk through this turmoil with you and help you get through this. God is the one who stands with us in solidarity. He is with us in the fire. And if you know somebody who's going through this, gosh, I remember in my 20s, I was hanging out with a friend, long story, when you're in your 20s, everything's really complicated. And she was living with this guy, kind of living with this guy. But every time I would see her, she had these bruises like on her neck and like on her wrist. And I was asking her, gosh, what, like what happened? Oh, it's not a big deal. It's just whatever. I got in a fight with him again. And I remember feeling so... Uh, like I couldn't do anything to save her or I couldn't even bring it up. It was like the most awkward thing in the world. I was like, well, you know, this is, this is not good. Like you're being hurt. It's dangerous. Like, oh, I can handle it. Are, Are you sure you can handle it? I, I didn't know what to say to her. She was like my best friend in the world and I loved her dearly. And she finally Gosh, the story. She moved, and the guy came with her, and then she got a gun. It was this horrific, weird situation. But she had to move away from him. It got bad enough where she had to actually physically move away from him. All this to say that I remember being the friend that couldn't talk about this back in in my 20s. It's difficult to talk about it. But here's the thing. If you show love, concern, say, I am here with you. I can help you. You know, God wants you to be set free from this. This can turn out really ugly. And just stand in solidarity solidarity with that person over and over and over again. Maybe it's not the first time you talk to them. Maybe it's not the second time. But don't be afraid to have those conversations. Don't be afraid to stand up on behalf of your friend. You see how that works? If we're integral people, then we need to stand up on behalf of them and say, this is not okay. Let me help you. Let us find help. Let's go contact people that can find help for you. God will give us the strength to follow through with those integral decisions. Our faith, our relationship with God, our relationship with Christ, known as the Messiah, the one who came to set the captives free, helps us stand for integrity. And again, God will give us the strength to follow through. Let us pray. Oh Lord, thank you for the ways that you stand with us. Even when we're in the middle of despair, in the middle of these fires, and we don't even know what to do, You show up, and you amaze us. You give us strength in ways that we can't even imagine. Help us, O Lord, stand up for what is right. Help us listen to your Spirit who is always speaking to us. Give us ears so we can hear your words of encouragement, your words of strength. 
We praise you, O God, for the ways that you set us free every day. In Christ we pray. Amen.